0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. We are so glad that you're joining us today um, and today, we are continuing our message series on WWJD, What Would Jesus Deconstruct? And last week, we talked a little bit, if you were here, about um, what it looks like for God to allow us to recognize where maybe our expectations of Him, or the things we're believing about Him, or the things we're building on, maybe maybe aren't true, maybe are built on lies, and God wants to break down those things so He can rebuild What is true, rebuild on his foundation. And so we talked a little bit about Jonah and the woman in the New Testament who was bleeding, and um, we looked at their reaction to Jesus and and God and what he did, and how that reaction um, revealed something about what they were believing, and then how God challenged that belief through the way that he responded to them. Um, So today we're going to be continuing this message series and really looking more at the life of Jesus and specifically the things that he might deconstruct today. Because, because even though we may have heard that the idea of deconstruction or breaking down what we believe, you know, maybe people tell you that it is a negative thing, that it's that it's never a good idea to start questioning. But I actually believe that it's biblical, that Jesus calls all of us in the, the body of believers to deconstruct, um, and as much as we might think that God wants to deconstruct the larger culture, you know, outside the church, I believe that God absolutely wants to deconstruct within the church as well. We should never make the mistake that, that the church somehow does not have room to grow or change or repent. And we can look at the church historically even, and we can see instances where, where we look back and we say, okay, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So I can look back and say, man, you know, the Crusades, Maybe not really God's heart. Maybe, maybe we were missing the mark there a little bit. Or we could look back, and I know we've used this example before, we can say slavery, you know, it, not only were Christians at the time accepting slavery, but they were justifying it with the Bible. And so we can look back in history and say, man, the church definitely got it wrong on multiple occasions, and not in little ways, but in very big ways. And we might think to ourselves, well, th- that wouldn't be me. And if I if I lived during that time I would have not have participated in that I would not have voted for the crusades I would not have you know owned a slave and yet we, we can miss the fact that, that we are also, can also be capable of getting things wrong today. This is exactly what Jesus cautions when he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 29. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived during the time of our ancestors, we would not have taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. And you testify against yourselves. And he says in verse 32, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. And so Jesus is saying, you know, in the, in the Old Testament there were all these prophets and often the prophets were killed because people didn't like what they had to say. And the, and the Pharisees said, oh man, if we lived in that time, we would not have killed the prophets. We would have listened to them. And yet these are the very prophets, sorry, these are the very Pharisees and teachers of the law that had Jesus killed then you might be thinking, wow, Carrie, are you, are you actually comparing us to the Pharisees? Are you actually trying to make that comparison? What I am trying to say is that we need to take stock and humility of where God might say, you're getting it wrong too. There might be some things that God wants to challenge us to turn and repent Because I don't think that our generation is somehow special. I don't think that our generation has somehow evolved beyond needing God or needing needing to shift and grow and learn and humility. In fact, I would say that that there's parts of of not just um, our church, but other churches that in some ways, in some area, we may be missing the heart of God. There is no generation of the church that Jesus would not challenge There is no generation that Jesus says, oh, nope, now you have have moved past the rest of humanity and you don't need a savior anymore. (laughs) We all need a savior. And so uh, whether Jesus would deconstruct things in Paul's day or during the Renaissance or in colonial America or in the roaring 20s or in the 2020s, God calls each generation to deconstruct something. Sometimes the traditions we're building on are not in line with God's heart. There's a um, chapter in Matthew 6 that actually shares six things Jesus says. And he says this phrase, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And and I love that passage, and I would encourage you to go read more of that in Matthew 6. But I'm going to touch on a little piece of that today. And it's basically this idea of Jesus saying, This is something you've heard. This is something that was... um, widely accepted or the church or your lives were built around this, but I'm telling you, you've gotten it wrong a little bit. There's something you're missing. Um, And again, why is it so important for us to look at these things? Well, I would give us a modern example really quick. Um, I'm going to give you an example of a product, and I'm going to just describe it for you. And if you think you know what it is, feel free to just shout it out. All right, this is a product that was used um, many years ago for its ability to strengthen and fireproof materials, including concrete, bricks. There you are. Fireplace, cement, pipes, and insulation. It is no longer used today. As of the 80s, it was phased out because we now know it exactly it causes cancer. It is not safe or healthy to use. But I'm going to give you permission, guys, really quick. If you have a phone with you, take your phone out. If you want to play along. Look up really quickly asbestos ads in the 1950s. If you want to do it now, if you want to do it later, feel free. I'll just, I'll, you know, I'm going to pretend you're my kids. I'm going to give you like two minutes here of electronic time. <laughs> I looked this up, guys. It is, it is a little bit ridiculous. There are, it was like the tile adhesives. There were like tablecloth mats with, a, with asbestos in them. There was an oven mitt ad with asbestos and it was like all the you know all the 50s wives like everyone's happy with their asbestos products and all that to say at the time it was touted as this miracle product right at the time it was it was it was put out there as this life-saving you know fireproof material and it turns out that what we thought was life-giving was actually life-taking And this is why it's so important that we look at our hearts, that we allow God to examine where we've gotten things wrong. Just because we've heard it said one way doesn't mean that it's actually true. There are some things we've heard it was said in the church that are not giving life. And we need to examine those. Maybe there's places where where tradition is elevated over truth or where scripture has been twisted and weaponized. And so I want to look really quickly at what Jesus says. And what Jesus might deconstruct. And I'm actually not going to give you a specific list today of things Jesus would deconstruct. Because I think that actually goes against the whole point, as you'll see, of the message. Uh, But I want us to kind of look at a broad picture. What might Jesus deconstruct today? So Matthew 6, 38 through 42 says this. This is Jesus talking. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus starts out by saying, you have heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Where is he getting that from? Is that just some tradition that the people had, had adopted? Well, it turns out Jesus is actually quoting from an Old Testament law here. This is um, from uh, Leviticus twenty-four twenty, and the law was: anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner—fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So I want to pause here, right? Because generally we would look at the Old Testament and we would say God gave the people, God gave Moses the laws, right? So we, we, would, we, would, we would think, okay, this is a law from God, so now is Jesus coming and saying that he's getting rid of that law, or that he's completely overriding it, or revoking the old law? But maybe not, because just before this section, Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. In fact, he tells his disciples um, that not to set aside the least of these commands, And he follows it by saying, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we have this conundrum, right? You thought you had questions about the Bible. I'm going to give you a few more, right? That's going to be my job today. So, what gives? Is Jesus Jesus upholding this old law or is he challenging it? What is going on? And again, when we see a discrepancy, an apparent discrepancy between something that Jesus is saying and something else we see in scripture, it's an invitation to us to say, okay, God, what 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 are you trying to speak in this tension? What are you trying to show us about yourself in the middle of this apparent discrepancy? And I would say there's a few things here that God would want us to deconstruct. And the first thing is this. When we idolize the law, when we idolize the law, sometimes we miss the heart behind it. In other words, you've heard the phrase, we can miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes we get so focused on the fine print of what, the, what we think the word is saying that we miss that that is not the heart behind the verse. Because I don't know about you, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, they'll know we are Christians by our gouged out eyes. No, it's not a popular saying. Maybe you've heard the phrase, they will know we are Christians by our love, right? And the whole point, if we look at this, at this passage, Jesus was, the Old Testament law was not really about, oh, yeah, yeah, we should all run around cutting out each other's eyes. Whenever, whenever someone gets wounded or injured, we need to injure them back. The idea was not revenge, but God was trying to create a society where people thought to themselves, I need to do to other people what I would have them do to me, I want to to act towards others in a way where they're not injured because that's not what I would want to have happen to me. And we know this because Jesus says that the law and the prophets can all be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The, The heart of that law was never about that legalism. And Jesus is trying to pull us back and show us that, that we are missing the point sometimes. Where might we be looking so closely at the exact meaning of a verse or a word that we may be missing something. Now, I, I don't want to say that theology is not important. I don't want to say that it's wrong to study scripture and to understand, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew. I think I am I am blessed to to have scholars and people who can help enlighten um, the Bible for me and teach me, you know, nuances and things about the culture that I might not otherwise have known. That And sometimes digging in like that can help us have a broader understanding of the scripture, but we have to be careful not to go so far with that, that we miss the heart of scripture in the, in the details. I do believe that today Jesus might point out some verses that we're currently using that may be keeping us from his heart, that maybe have turned into legalism. We see this again with the Pharisees. There's a a couple times where the Pharisees called Jesus out um, for breaking the law on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath, in the Old Testament, God said, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. Don't do any work because that's my day and you're supposed to honor me. And yet when Jesus came, the Pharisees got mad at him for picking grain on the Sabbath to eat or for, for Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. Talk about twisting the scripture, right? And Jesus says to them, In Mark 2, 27 and 28, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God God gave us that law for our benefit, not to be twisted into a burden. What scriptures maybe have we isolated and then used to minimize or devalue others? We need to ask these questions because not just because people are leaving the church over it. People sometimes look at the church and say, man, you look hypocritical when you say this and you act this way. But that's not the only reason we should be asking these questions. It's because fundamentally, it keeps us, those laws keep us from knowing God's heart and truly resting in him. And this is the second thing I think Jesus is pointing out in in what seems to be an apparent contradiction here. The second point is that the law could never save us. Only Jesus can. The law could never save us. Only Jesus can. So if you think about this analogy of of legalism, right? If if we're talking about building a house, right? We talked about asbestos. But if you're building a house and you want it to look amazing, legalism might be the house that looks really amazing on the outside, but on the inside, it is not okay. And when we start to focus on legalism and getting all the verses just right, It starts to become one of those things where we try to check our Christian boxes and we start to compare ourselves and we say, oh, look, my house looks better than that house over there, so I'm probably doing okay. And if we've built our house on legalism, let me ask you the question, what is the foundation? If our house looks like legalism, what might the foundation be? If we're trusting in ourselves and our ability to accomplish good works on our own, then the foundation is actually self-righteousness. The salvation is actually ourselves and human effort. And Jesus would challenge us and say, no, I, I am the foundation. I need to be the foundation. Even though Jesus says, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, what he's really saying is that the Pharisees were the best of the best. They, they were getting just about everything right. They were dotting all their I's and crossing all their T's. And so what Jesus is really saying is you can't be better than the Pharisees because humans can't, not without me. You cannot, you cannot live without me. Romans 3, 20 through 24 talks about this. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one will be declared righteous by works of the law, rather... Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is the gospel, right? This is, this is the foundation that we have to build on, that all of us are broken, that all of us have screwed up, and, and not just before, right? We, we all are sinners, and we never graduate from that category. Yeah. So Jesus says, the foundation is me. The foundation is my grace. The foundation is my blood that saves you, regardless of who you are and what you've done. And we are not saved through the law. We are saved through knowing Christ. And we're going to come back to that idea more at the end. Um, But one thing I am certain is that Jesus, we deconstruct legalism in all its forms. Anytime we're building on a foundation of self-righteousness and legalism, God would say, I want to tear that down. I want to break that down. I think even we we sometimes in the church... um, Maybe illegalism looks a little bit like this. We do it to ourselves. We create this shame within ourselves where we say, um, man, I feel like God saves me, and then I'm doing all the right things, and I'm checking off my boxes. But what happens when we screw up? What happens when we, when we believe in God, and we're following him, and then we screw up, and then we start to feel like, well, now, now what if God doesn't want to be with me? Well now maybe I have to like do a few things, a few extra checklist things to get back into God's grace, to get back into God's presence. Maybe I need to, you know, fix my house and have Chip and Joanna Gaines come and like rearrange some things, make the throw pillows look a little nicer and then Jesus will want to come and be with me. And I think again we're missing the point. We can we can turn following Christ into this burden that was never meant to be and we can forget that when our foundation is Christ, we don't we don't have to worry because God is, God is there for us and he's with us and whenever we turn to him, he's, he's with us and he does not disqualify us from being in his presence because of the things that we do. And not only do we have to challenge this belief for ourselves, but we also have to look at the way that we're responding to those outside the church. How often might we be leaving people out of the church? out of the, the body of Christ because we, we sort of start to categorize people and say, well, this person, I'm sorry, you can, you can come into, the, into the, the body of Christ if you fix these things, but until then, maybe not. And I have to say, I don't believe that's, that's typical of our church. I, I think Hope Church has done, um, has created a really beautiful culture of just love and vulnerability, and so I want to just commend you guys for that. But I do think sometimes in the larger church, we have this, this issue. We have this issue of sort of cutting people out and drawing lines. And we kind of turn into a glorified like homeowners association where it's like, well, unless your grass is trimmed this low or, you know, my gosh, you're using, you know, air conditioning units in your windows. So that's not, that's not going to fly so you can fix those things. And I think Jesus would have some strong things to say here. And again, when he, he would respond to the Pharisees. And this is another thing that he said to them. The very Pharisees that he says, our righteousness has to surpass theirs. He says to them in Matthew 21, 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door in the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut the door in their faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those in who are trying to in fact Matthew 21 31 says truly I tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you in other words maybe we've missed something the 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 people that Jesus in in that day it was the tax collectors and the prostitutes that were that were considered okay like the chief the chief sinners in our day it might look different Who are the people that you can think of today that that the church, and I've heard people say this, not in our church, but I've heard people say, oh, that person won't go to heaven because, because of this, because they're this kind of person, they're that kind of way. I'm sorry, I believe heaven is gonna be full of people that might shock us, that we just might be surprised because God's mercy is so much greater than we realize because the lines that we draw as humans are not the line that God's grace draws. Maybe there's people that we would write out of the kingdom and God is saying, be careful, be careful, watch your hearts. Because if you're shutting the door and keeping people out, you may not realize that you yourselves are distancing yourself from the kingdom. Sometimes the, the things we, sought, we thought were true, the, the, the things that we've heard that were said for so long in the church, maybe maybe they're keeping people out. There's a quick story in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, about Peter, and Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, and after Jesus returns to heaven, Jesus sends out the disciples in the Great commission, and he says, "Go and make disciples of every nation." And, and yet there was still some traditions that the disciples held that were keeping them from going to all the world. So at, at one point in Acts 10:14, there's this, this vision Peter has of this sheet that's let down from heaven, and it has all these um, unclean animals on the sheep animals that that the Israelites were not to to touch or associate with because they would make them unclean and Jesus or Peter rather um, he has this moment where he's like god what does this vision mean and what are you trying to say and and god tells him you know take you can you can eat this and peter's like whoa no i can't do that that's i've heard that you know forever my whole life i've never done that i can't do this and jesus Says this to him in this vision. He says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it turns out that the whole point of this vision is that there's there's a a man named Cornelius, and he's a Gentile, which means he wasn't part of the Israelite community. And God wanted Peter to go to this man and to tell him about the gospel and to allow him to, to again become a believer as well. And so God finally reveals this to Peter, and Peter goes and he talks to Cornelius, and all of Cornelius' household, they, they are filled with the Spirit. Today's actually the day of, we celebrate Pentecost, when the Spirit came to be with the believers. And so here, the people, the, the, all the Israelites were shocked that Cornelius, a Gentile, would be filled with the Spirit, because they have heard that it was said that that's simply not possible. And again, Jesus was saying, nope, You've heard this, but it's not true. My kingdom is for everyone. My kingdom is for all people. And we need to be careful not to draw lines out, not to call things people impure that God can make pure and has made clean. So the same is true today. Jesus says, Don't be fooled. There are people we've written out of the kingdom that, that God says, no, my righteousness stretches far enough. And so Jesus, I believe, would deconstruct legalism and I believe he would also deconstruct verses or, or places that exclude people unnecessarily from the kingdom. And so when we look about a house, we, look, we think about a house that's, got, that's, that's legalistic, right? And it has all these problems. It might look beautiful on the outside, but as I said before, it's got serious flaws on the inside. And Jesus says this to the, to the Pharisees again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypo- hypocrisy and wickedness. And again, maybe much like the asbestos conversation, when we're doing righteousness our own way, We think it's saving us, but it's really killing us. And it can be a costly renovation to come in and let God take out those pieces of legalism. And yet, as expensive as it is to do a remodel, sometimes God is saying, you know what, you don't just need to remodel the house. Sometimes the house itself reveals that we are building on a faulty foundation, that we are building on something that is not truly of Christ. As much as our houses need renovating, Sometimes we have to focus on the foundation instead. So I would ask you, what are you building on? What is the foundation of your life? Um, so my, just so you know, all the, I'm talking to my husband this week. He is an architect. and So he gave me all these, these fun uh, construction analogies for today. Um, so he tells me, that anytime time a construction crew goes to pour a foundation, they have to take cylinders of the concrete, and they have to take several of these cylinders, and before they're supposed to build on the foundation that they've laid, they actually have to put those cylinders through a rigorous testing process, and they have to do it over time. They have to do like a test at seven days, a test at 28 days, uh, a test at 56 days, and basically what they're doing is they are putting so much pressure on these cylinders all this weight, all this pressure, and so they can find the breaking point. At what point does this foundation break down? And they have to know this because they have to know whether the foundation is going to be strong enough to build the rest of the structure on top. And so it is critical, it is vital that they test the foundation. And Jeff told me that there was this bizarre situation uh, where this this one plant that that makes foundation, concrete for foundation, um, in a certain period of time, some material that they were using was different than normal and it ended up that initially the concrete was fine but as they'd continued to test this product down the road they realized that it, that it was um compromised and so the, there's there was this particular building it was a school that had been built on this foundation and they had to completely you know move the children out of that and find temporary schooling building for them because they could, not, they could not leave that existing building. They had to tear the whole thing down and redo the whole foundation because it was compromised. Again, I think sometimes we may fear that if we ask questions, that if we ask questions of the Bible, if we ask questions of God, we, maybe you've heard this phrase, we the slippery slope. Oh my gosh, if we ask this question, it's gonna take us down this slippery slope and we're gonna just slide away from faith altogether. And we have this fear But I would actually suggest that that God wants us to test the foundation that we're building on. He wants us to challenge the assumptions maybe that we've grown up with. And in fact, if we find out that the foundation is not strong enough, that doesn't mean that we have to give up faith in God. No, I believe it means that we've mixed something into the foundation that is not of God. We've mixed something into the foundation that is compromising the integrity of our faith. And as as expensive as it can be to rebuild a foundation, it is far more costly if we're building our lives on a faulty foundation. It's far more costly if we keep building and we ignore the foundation that eventually is going to crumble. Sometimes we have to strip down everything to hold the roots of what we believe and to really ask God, you know, if, if it holds up against not just the questions that we have, but against the circumstances of our lives, against um, all, the, all the things that we experience and we face in our day-to-day lives, does our foundation hold up under those things? And if it doesn't, we have to ask ourselves why and ask God to re-pour the foundation to show us what we need to be building our lives on have i mixed something into my foundation have i mixed legalism have i mixed fear into my foundation i think we can tell if we've mixed fear into our foundation maybe we can tell if our if we've got our hearts and our churches surrounded by moats and barbed wire and we're trying to keep people out and keep ourselves safe again maybe there's maybe that's a sign that we're building on fear rather than than god and so we have to make sure that foundation is firm because once that foundation is firm, we know we can build the rest of the structure. And when that foundation is secure, we can build a structure that we can hang other things on and we can, we can build the walls and we can, we can put up the rooms and we can, we can see the shape of the kingdom when we're building it on Christ. And so Tom's going to talk next week a little bit about what that looks like, not not just deconstruction, right? Because that's not the that's not the end goal here. But what does it look like when we allow God to rebuild, to reconstruct what He wants on the foundation? But I'm going to end with this brief thought. I know we've talked a little bit about. Um, how God does not want us to build on legalism. And I I know that that's one pitfall that we can have. I think there's one other area that we can kind of lean to. And maybe in this message, I just want to be careful that that I don't make it come across this way. There is still things that God wants us to know are structural things. There are still things that he asks us to build our lives around. We might, we might start to think, well, if God's the foundation, then nothing else that we do really matters. And that would also be false. It brings me back to this one more analogy about a house. Uh, my husband was saying a lot of times with his work, they go into existing buildings and they have to renovate things. And when they renovate a building, there are certain walls, load-bearing walls, that you cannot move. They have to stay there. Right? And so what happens is that people have to build around the existing structure. They have to, they have to create walls and, and designs around what's already there. And it can seem obnoxious, but my husband said this, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like perfect. He said, things that appear to be constraints can actually turn into opportunities to do something better, to, do, to create something better than the people could originally have imagined. And I, I want us just to, to, to know that in our hearts, Jesus says that the perfect law gives us freedom. As much as sometimes we look at rules as constraints, and and if we take it too far, it does end up in legalism, but there is a structure, there is a law that gives freedom that God wants us to build our lives around. He wants to produce something beautiful in us through those, through that structure. Because the law can't save us. Jesus is our righteousness, and he gives us that law for freedom. And I'm going to be honest, as I wrap up here, um, again, maybe you have more questions now than you ever did. I know in in my life, I have had so many questions and and different things have happened in my life that have made me ask God, why? What are you doing? Where are you? And I remember a few months ago, just like crying in the car driving. And I was like, God, I am so overwhelmed right now by the weight of the things that I do not know. I am so overwhelmed by the, the global and the personal things that I do not have answers for. And then in this moment, I just had this kind of this peace and knowing, God, when I don't have the answers, I don't rely on those to save me anyway. I trust in a God who is the answer. I trust in a God who's bigger than all the unanswered questions that I have. And that is truly my faith. That is truly my hope, my anchor, my foundation is that somehow I don't have to know it all because I'm not the foundation. But I believe that God does and I believe that he holds us Even in our unknown, even in our discrepancies, even in the things that we're wrestling with. If you're struggling, if you're wrestling, if you're questioning, it's okay. And my prayer is that in that wrestling, in that not knowing, that we come to seek Jesus himself. And this is why I don't give you a list of all the things I think God wants to break down because God wants to speak it into our own hearts. God doesn't want us to chase the rules as much as the relationship with him. And as Roger and Sherry, who are um, friends of mine, they've talked about this with me, but truly we come we come to know Christ. We come to live out what he wants us to do. We come to know the truth of who he is by knowing him, by being with him. And so I'm just, my prayer for us today is that we would continue to go deeper into the heart of God, that all our questions would just send us to his feet over and over again, and that we would in, in humility Accept that maybe he wants to do something different in us, to change something in us, but it will be for his glory and it will be for our good and it will produce a beautiful kingdom. God, thank you so much um, that you are a patient God, a loving God, a forgiving God. I thank you that you do not look at us and, and choose to be with us based on how good we are or how many rules we've gotten right or checked off. God, I thank you that you see us and you hold us and you walk with us. In our mess and in the mystery and the things that we don't know. And my prayer, God, today is that you would deconstruct, deconstruct in the larger church, God, and deconstruct here at Hope Church things that are not of you. Anything that is not of you, let it fall away, God. We want to see your kingdom built here in your way through your eyes. And God, I pray that for each person today that we would just know your heart, that somehow we would experience you in a new way this week and you'd show us the depths of your love that go so far beyond what we could imagine or even understand. We love you.